Our reading is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. As with uh, a lot of things in P's and G's, I learn from the children. And when it comes to prayer, when it comes to forgiveness, um, I learn from the children. Gemma, our children's director, she will take uh, the BBC News app and each week we'll open it with the, with the children to pray and find the, the top thing. And when we think about forgiveness, it might seem like something that is distant or it might seem like something that is intense and is about us working out our problem with someone, but it shows up everywhere. If I was to take this, um, this app and go through some of the headlines. I wonder where forgiveness might need to show up just across the front page on these headlines. Acid attack sentences to be reviewed. Teen charged over London acid attacks. Election intimidation at tipping point. Teenager killed in crash. Brazilian politician egged at her wedding. But forgiveness, we see, needs to show up in most situations that make a headline. It needs to show up across our lives. This psalm this morning is less of a, a sermon to think about and maybe less of an experience to, to feel or, 
end point is not to leave feeling great or to have a, a thought-provoking idea given to us. The end point of this morning is to leave with forgiveness in our whole self. To take a step to forgive another person, to live into the forgiveness of God. It's to journey through this experience, not just understanding a belief or a value or an idea about forgiveness, but with names in our hearts and names in our minds. If by 10 a.m. we're a bit less comfortable with the state of the world or a bit less comfortable with how we've left a relationship or a conversation, then we're in a good space. Perhaps names or situations are going to pop up. And as we do this, my encouragement and what I've tried to do this week is not put a stop on that. Even if now someone's name is popping into your mind, then let's hold that and let's sit with that this morning together. All of us, we have moments in our lives that we would love to change. And this forgiveness is one of the most potent and renewing works of the Holy Spirit. It can change the way that we look at the world around us. It's giving us a new way to see it, a new way to be in each room we might enter in a day. Forgiveness can enable us to just sit at the kitchen table with a different sense, to speak to those around us in a different way. You can see the world around us is becoming less forgiving, more tribal perhaps. Things become uh, more personal. And we hear these statements of unforgiveness all over the place. It might be something simple as that person, ah, they hold grudges easily. Or they didn't talk to us, so we won't talk to them after. Or we say of other people, oh, they're complicated. I wonder if the end point today for us might look like, Lord, I'm sorry. Thank you. Or it might be a message that we send to someone. Dear ex, I'm sorry. Dear ex, I forgive you. Dear ex, you won't know this, but. Perhaps it comes up as we think, who's offended us? Who do we feel bitter about? Who do we feel that we've left unforgiven? And if we're really honest today, is the answer to that you? Is it ourself? We have this passage today that shows David, someone who in this reflection has offended himself. He was bitter at the own wounding of his own soul that he had engaged in. He needed God to forgive him, to forgive himself. This forgiveness that he experienced isn't so much a, a what happened as a question of who. Forgiveness often isn't a what are you forgiving. It always seems to be who. Author and pastor uh, Rob Bell, someone who um, has been controversially tarnished in this and I think probably has a lot around forgiveness, he expressed 10 years ago um, this idea that anytime somebody says uh, the church has hurt me or this organization has hurt me, that the next best question is always, who was it? Who was it? Forgiveness is a, a yearning in our souls. 
is something that we crave and need to flow, to function healthily. And in God's mercy, we have this amazing picture of David. So as we enter into this story and think, what did David do? Where was he? Then we can see a beautiful picture of forgiveness. So what's the situation here that David has? In the introduction of this, it's clearly saying um, this is after uh, Nathan the prophet had uh, unveiled to David his own wrong, his own need of forgiveness with Bathsheba. So this story is from 2 Samuel 11, and it says that David really should have been off to war as the king. He should have been leading the charge, but for some reason he stayed off that year. And he got bored, and he begins to look out over his kingdom. And he stays, and he sees this woman bathing. And he decides that he's going to have this woman. His heart changes, and he, he brings her to the palace. And he sleeps with her, and she becomes pregnant. And so he realizes that this is not a good situation. And so David then tries to put it on the woman's husband and brings him home from war and tries to make sure that it can look like it's the husband's child. The husband is too loyal to his unit, decides, I'm not going to do that until the war is done and I will sleep elsewhere, I will sleep away. And so David then decides, if that's not going to work, he puts him right in the heart of the heavy fighting where he knows the man will be killed. He gives the order and um, Uriah is killed. David then takes the woman to be his own. This sounds like Game of Thrones. This sounds like a, a brutal episode of a TV program. But this is David. This is the guy who wrote chunks of the Bible. This guy must know what forgiveness is. We would, just, we would call this man a total plank. He's a fool. He's a mess. When I read this, what comes out in me is, how did he get all those Psalms credited to him? How does God still hear his praise? How does he still get called a man after God's own heart? This man's a fool. Where's that young kid who got chosen to be king? Where's the giant slayer, David? What is he doing now? This man is perverse. And then I realized that this is why we have this story. Because my judgment of David is what God wants to expose as well. This is why it's then given that, that Nathan, the prophet, steps into David's life in the same way this passage steps into our life to make us realize that we need our judgments of others unveiled so that we can see our own need for forgiveness. And Nathan, the prophet, steps in and he tells David, this tale about a man who had just one precious lamb, his, his beloved one thing, and that another man then steps in who had hundreds, had access to all of it, and he takes the one thing that the man loved for his own. And David hears this and is outraged. He says, bring this person to me. And of course, it's then unveiled that that person is you. The power of the prophet is using this story to uncover truth about ourselves that He's been rejecting or he's been pushing away. And that way of a story, it so often gets behind our own truth, behind our version of events and unveils the intention of the heart. It gets behind the reframing, behind the defending. And David then realized this 
is a low point. And he realizes mercy. It pours out of the psalm, isn't it? As we sit with it, I encourage you, sit with the psalm here as we, as we go through it and see how mercy pours out. He says in verse 1 and 2, according to your unfailing love, according to, he's given up his own way of it. We start by according to something else, not on our ability, but on God. We come into his agreement, his contract, his way of setting it up, his patterns. He speaks of faithfulness in the inward parts, like the womb, speaks of it being closer, not just in the head, not just in the heart, but right in his guts. God isn't just interested in our heads and what we think, what we know about God or to know him better. He's looking right through the heart, into the guts, into the inward parts. David desires that his sin would be blotted out, vanish, that he becomes whiter than snow, that it would get lost in forgiveness. The place where we cannot see our sin anymore. The writer John Donne says, thou shalt unsin me. It's that impression of it being lost. To look upon the person as someone as this, they'd never sinned. He speaks of the bones in verse 8. Speaking of strength, speaking of the stuff that makes up his life. And God has worked and it says he's crushed the bones, he crushed the framework he was holding it all on. The self, the frame, the strength that David exists on. God is taking away that perception that he can structure up and build his life the way he is seeing it. And he's receiving the message that we need forgiveness, that our framework does not work. Because we need forgiveness. He invites God to create in him a pure heart. The God who created the stars, the oceans, and the, the skies above us keeps on creating. And the invitation there is that he is creating in us a pure heart. We need creation to continue in our life. And so David has this moment to look at who God is in light of who David is. It's a specific moment. And it always comes to that for us. Eugene Peterson says the gospel is never truth in general. It is always truth in specific. It's never just a commentary on ideas or culture or conditions. It's always about actual persons actual pain, actual trouble, actual sin, you, me, who you are and what you've done, who I am and what I've done. We recognize that need for forgiveness. Perhaps that idea of sin or needing forgiveness has become an offensive word about judging other people's behavior, but it's actually simply the state we might speak of where we're engaged in God avoidance and in our own attempts to God our life. Perhaps it's become useful for us not to forgive. Perhaps it's become a tool that we have just to keep the world at bay, to keep us in, a, in an angst, to keep us cynical. It lets things tick on. It works. It doesn't need us to ask for change because forgiveness will create change. Perhaps we're resisting it. 
because it might mean that we need to forgive someone else. It might mean we soften. It might mean we become weak. It might mean something in us breaks. It might be our attitude towards people, maybe how we viewed our parents or our family or our ex-partners or our children or the very voice in our head might break if we were to be forgiven. It can range from the petty to the all-consuming. I remember I had to forgive Sarah, who was in P7, for wrongly accusing me of playing an illegal game in the playground when I was in primary two. And I was benched for 35 minutes of my lunchtime when I was not playing the game. And I remember resenting her for years. I felt she owed me 35 minutes of my break time. I had to forgive the doctors when I was age 10 and was diagnosed with ME and said, well, what, what now? And there wasn't something available at the time. I had to forgive uh, myself for breaking my leg just months after I'd recovered from ME and I had to forgive the guy's shin that I broke it off in a game of football. <laughs> I had to forgive, otherwise we poison ourselves every day. We must recognize it in ourselves. From the mundane, the petty, to the all-consuming. We desire forgiveness. We desire movement. So where does God step in with David? The beauty, the beauty of this forgiveness is that it is not um, offered with a backhand and a harsh word and a judgment and a condemnation but it's offered by love that overwhelms. Teresa of Avalon, a 16th century uh, mystic and writer, said that the sinner is actually one who does not love themselves enough. And that it is to love the whole self that brings about the work of forgiveness. It's like the brokenness that got us into pain in the first place is the very thing that gets us to the grace of God. By experiencing unforgiveness and all that that brings, we're so often led into forgiveness. How might that be the key that brings us closer to God? We hear it in the cross that through Christ, it's by his wounds that we are healed and we have to ask, how do wounds and healing now become the same space? Richard Rohr's unpacking this, begins to say, we try to show up the good side and hide the dark side, hide the sinner, avoid, forget, or project it. God is using all of us to bring us to God. He doesn't split and deny. We're a whole self. His love, great in total. And he even uses our sin in our favor. He uses our dark side to bring us to God. And on one level, that seems baffling to me. And then on the other level, the truer level, it feels like good news. It feels like that might be the wonder of God. The reason we confess sin is to confess where it takes us through to. 
We do not forget the sin because we don't forget the mercy that was offered in it. And perhaps we've stopped at confessing sin. An invitation today is to confess forgiveness. There's a, a Latin phrase. Um, I read it as Felix Kupla, and I'm sure it's pronounced very differently than that. Felix meaning blessed, happy. Kupla, fault or fall. And it comes together to sort of mean, oh, happy sin. Blessed fall. Happy fault. When we recognize sin, we're in a position to recognize and respond to the God who saves us from sin. It doesn't please God. Our unforgiveness, our distance, our godding our own life is not pleasing to God. And yet, somehow he is greater than this and uses that very rejection of him to be the peace that often brings us straight to who he is. You're looking at David here. And here's somebody who in the, the low point of his life, the low point of his decisions, did something that hurt many people around him and yet becomes the pathway to greater sense of mercy and opens that up to us. And so for us now today, we've seen this pattern that David has. Cleanse me, renew me, wash me, open me up. We stop determining the cords of how we're forgiven and we give it to God. We receive mercy from God like it's our next breath, like water from a waterfall. And we now live in the forgiveness of Christ. And we read this psalm here today as a psalm of God's faithfulness. When we read, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, from our point here today, the, the thanksgiving comes in and we say, thank you, you have had mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. He says, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And from our point today, we say, you've blotted out my transgressions, you have washed away all my iniquity, you have cleansed me from my sin. Thank you, God. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. God has cleansed us. We are clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. You have washed me. We are whiter than snow. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in with me. We are saying you are creating in me a pure heart. You are renewing a steadfast spirit within me. There's a beauty in the place that we stand now. Through Jesus, through what we celebrate at this table, the psalm becomes a piece of the faithfulness of God offered to you today for that name that might be in your mind for the people that I can see in my mind's eye right now that I withhold forgiveness from this psalm this work of God this table begins to chip away at the hardness chips away at the names of people who I've not forgiven it chips away 
at the places I'm holding back in. And there's an offering today for mercy to us, for each piece in our lives. There is mercy, there's compassion, there's washing away, there's cleansing. Let's continue to celebrate the mercy of God and receive that today.